Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 11, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Herod went into this huge building project, expansion project in 20 BC. And Herod spared no expense on on this remodeling job. It was incredibly elaborate. Many call that the third temple. That temple was destroyed in AD 70 by the Roman general Titus. It is in that temple that Jesus prophesied, and he said in Matthew 24, verse 2, he said, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus said that in that temple. It was less than 40 years. The Roman general Titus and his soldiers came rushing into Jerusalem and they ransacked the temple. And one of Titus' men, against Titus' orders, took a torch and he threw it into the temple and burned the temple. And the temple was so elaborate, they had so much gold on the walls and on the door frames that when the, the fire went into the temple, the, the walls and the gold began to melt. And the gold began to melt between the cracks of the stones. And you guessed it. The soldiers took the temple down stone by stone to scrape the gold, to get the gold. Thus fulfilling the prophecy that Jesus made 40 years earlier, not one stone shall be left upon another, just like Jesus said. And when those soldiers took down that temple stone by stone, guess what? There has never been a temple in Jerusalem since even to today. That's why there's no temple in Jerusalem, even to the day. Now, in the 600s, something awful happened. It was terrible. Because the Muslims, they built a mosque on the old temple site. It's called, if you're taking notes, the Mosque of Omar, or the Dome of the Rock Mosque. The Muslims built that. The Dome of the Rock Mosque is built over a rock that they claim was the rock that the holies of holies in in, in the Jewish temple sat on. The Muslims claim this is the place. This is the place also where Muslims believe that Muhammad ascended into heaven from that place. Now, in 1967, we have the Six-Day War. Israel regained control of Jerusalem. But it's an interesting thing because although Israel regained control of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount was given back to the Muslims. We don't know why. No one knows why. 
Moshe Dayan gave the temple back, the temple mount, back to the Muslims. No one knows why he didn't maintain control of it and thus be able to quietly, peaceably build their temple. And so even today, the Muslims control the Temple Mount. Now, I've been there twice. And it's interesting because when you ascend the Temple Mount, matter of fact, put that picture up for me, would you? Would you, Brian? There you go. That's a picture I took when I was there in, uh, in uh, Israel, in Jerusalem. And prior to, you see where all those people are, prior to uh, this location, there's like, uh, you know, like at the airport where they have the checkpoint where you got to go through and put your bags through, take your laptop out, you know, take your, take your clothes off. I mean, it's, it's, unbel- it's unbelievable how they check you. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> mommy of Philly, you know, I'm just like, okay, <laughs> you know. So, well, they kind of do the same thing there. Prior to going up to the Temple Mount, and if you have with you, say, I had a Bible in my backpack, and uh, they don't allow Bibles up on the Temple Mount there. They don't allow Bibles. They don't allow anything Christian. If you have a Bible in your backpack, they took my Bible out. They kept it. They said I could pick it up on my way down. You cannot take a Bible up on the Temple Mount. You cannot wear a Christian T-shirt. You cannot, the day that you're going, you're going to do your tour and you're going to go to the Temple Mount, they tell you that day to please dress appropriately and don't bring this and don't bring that and wear this and wear that. You need to wear long pants. Uh, Ladies, they prefer you to wear something on your head. They prefer, they don't really force that. But when you're going through that checkpoint, they check you for weapons, of course, and that kind of thing. And when you ascend those steps, it is a very, very, very evil feeling at the top. It was the same feeling I said to a couple pastors of mine, friends, I said, I said, do you feel that? And they said, yeah, man. It was the same feeling that I felt when I landed at Narita Airport in Japan. You know, they worship the dead in that country. And it's a very evil, demonic feeling in the air, so thick you can cut it with a knife. And I felt the same thing there on the Temple Mount. So the Muslims, they occupied, they control it. The very intense, very evil feeling. Now we know that on this temple mount, there will be another temple. Some call it the tribulation temple. During the tribulation, there will be a fourth temple built. Now, Jesus, Paul, and Daniel all talk about the temple and the abomination of desolation. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, before his coming, that they would see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet in the holy temple. The abomination of desolation. Paul talked about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you're taking notes, read it in your own time. Daniel chapter 9 tells us that the Antichrist will break his covenant with the Jews and bring a sacrifice and an offering to the end, to an end. And then he will defile the temple by worshiping an idol in there. What is the abomination of desolation? Actually, you could think of it like this, the abomination which causes desolation. Because the Antichrist in the middle of the tribulation will set up an image, an idol in the temple. Now, in the Jewish mind, this is the ultimate blasphemy. To set up an idol in the temple and demand to be worshipped. 
That's the abomination of desolation that Jesus and Paul and Daniel talks about. Now, in order for there to be an idol set up in the temple during the tribulation period, Jesus said, as a matter of fact, when you see that happen, he says, flee to the mountain of Petra. Don't stop to get your luggage. Don't stop to get your stuff. Get away because the Antichrist is then going to begin to persecute the Jews. So in order for there to be an abomination which causes desolation in the temple, there must be a temple. So during the tribulation period, there will be a temple. Revelation here talks about this temple during the tribulation. Actually, there'll even be a fifth temple, by the way. There'll be a fifth temple built after the tribulation temple. The tribulation temple will be destroyed when Jesus comes back because it will be defiled. This fifth temple that is described in Ezekiel is the millennial temple. And this temple, Jesus will oversee and Jesus will rule and reign and be involved in Jerusalem. Now, when you're in Jerusalem... It's very interesting in the old city of Jerusalem, which, by the way, in the old city or the Jewish quarter, it is incredibly clean. That's one thing that kind of struck me. It's incredible. It's like so fresh and so clean. (laughs) I just walked through there and I'm like, I felt like a easy breezy. It's fresh and clean. It's really, really unusually clean. And when you're in the Jewish quarter, and, and, and you talk to Orthodox Jews. Now, you got to talk to Orthodox Jews. Don't talk to just any Jew because some of them don't even care. But if you ask an Orthodox Jew, how will you know the Messiah? You know what he'll tell you? He'll say, the one who helps us to rebuild our temple. I, I did that, as a matter of fact, because I heard about this a lot from pastors saying, you know, oh, when you get to Jerusalem, you're going to f- ask them how, you know, how you're going to know the Messiah. And I've heard pastors saying this a lot. So when I got to Israel, I asked somebody. And I walked in this one store and, you know, where they sell the stuff. And I'm like, hey, how will you know the Messiah? The one who helps us to rebuild our temple. They are looking forward to the temple being rebuilt, and there is even a very strong movement of people in Israel today to rebuild the temple there on the Temple Mount. And if you take a trip to Israel, you can go to the Temple Institute. And there in the Temple Institute, in the Jewish quarter, they, they've got all kinds of materials already ready. You know, on the high priest, the breastplate that the high priest would use to sacrifice and to perform the priestly duties. They've got those stones that are on the breastplate already ready and sanctified, waiting to rebuild the temple and get back to sacrifice, temple sacrifice. Very interesting. They have all the cedar wood they need to build the temple. They are ready. There in the Temple Institute, you can see that they have, you know, all the artifacts that are necessary. They even have two yeshivas. Those are schools for Jewish boys with the last name Cohen. Cohen means priest. And they've got two schools that they, if your last name is Cohen, you go to this school, you're learning how to perform the priestly duties so that they can begin the animal sacrifice again. 60% of all the instruments that are needed for the temple worship, according to the Old Testament regulations, are in place. They are ready to rebuild. They only have one little small problem. Tongue in cheek. 
Oh, actually, it's a big problem. See it? That's their problem. The Dome of the Rock Mosque. Oh, Rodney, I mean, if it's that big a problem, why don't they just blow that thing up? Poof! Get rid of it! Why don't they? Oh, they can't do that either. Because if they did, there would be a bloodbath. It'd be a billion Muslims would converge on Israel. It would be awful. So they have a really big problem. What will they do? March, April, issue, 1983, Biblical Archaeology Review. Bar magazine, they call it. I used to have a copy. I guess several moves now. I can't find it. But in this article is very interesting. A common misconception is unveiled. Dr. Asher Kaufman, a physicist and crack archaeologist, spent 16 years studying the Temple Mount, and he drew some very interesting conclusions. Dr. Kaufman, who is not a Christian, he is not an Orthodox Jew, he said, for many years people thought the Dome of the Rock was sitting on the original spot of the Holy of Holies. When in actuality, he says, the real location is 100 meters north. If you walk 100 meters north, there is a little gazebo. And underneath the gazebo is a flat piece of bedrock from the original temple that hasn't been cut or it hasn't been chiseled. This is where many believe that the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies actually sat. And the reason being is because this piece of bedrock had not been cut. It had not been chiseled. But all on the rest of the Temple Mount, they've got pieces that have been cut and have been chiseled. Thus, the Ark of the Covenant could not rest on an uneven piece of bedrock and would not. So he believes And many, many scholars now hold this position. And if you track what is going on in the Middle East, you already know this. Many scholars hold this particular position. Dr. Kaufman also goes on to say in the Mishnah, which is a highly esteemed book of Jewish oral traditions, it reads, when a priest stood in the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, the priest could look through the veil, through the door of the temple, And he could see the eastern gate right in front of him. And it's true. If you stand in this gazebo a hundred meters north of the Dome of the Rock, the east gate is in plain view. As again, many scholars hold this position. The Dome of the Rock mosque is not the original place where the Holy of Holies, the temple of God, was actually located. Now, this little gazebo, this is really interesting. The Muslims titled this place. They named it. Two names they gave it. If you're taking notes, write it down. Number one, the Dome of the Spirits. They named it the Dome of the Spirits. They also named it the Dome of Tablets. So it goes by two names. And I kind of stood in one, and I don't know if that's my picture or not, but I, I got one like that. But I stood in one. In in there, the Dome of the Spirits and the Dome of Tablets. Now, that's interesting because even the Muslims who gave it the name, they are recognizing this spot as the place where the Ten Commandments were given and the place where the Kabod or the Shekinah glory of God hovered over the Ark of the Covenant. So even the Muslims agree 
Very interesting. According to Dr. Kaufman and many scholars, the temple could be rebuilt and the Dome of the Rock Mosque, the problem, you wouldn't need to move it at all. And you could go ahead and rebuild the temple. Very interesting. And also this dome, the Dome of the Rock Mosque, would then be, verse 2, in the court of the Gentiles. Did you see it? Leave the court of the Gentiles, which is outside the temple. Don't measure that. Very, very interesting findings. Don't measure that. Leave that outer court, which is outside the temple. For it's been given to the Gentiles. They will tread the holy city underfoot 42 months. Now, 42 months equals 1,260 days or three and a half years which would make up the last three and a half years of the tribulation when the Antichrist turns on Israel and begins to persecute the Jews. Very, very interesting. But I want to note something just briefly. We got to take a look at it. Notice, notice, John is told to measure the temple, measure the altar. And did you see that in verse one? And measure those who, Worship there. Now that to me is intriguing. It's fascinating. I'm headed back from Southern California this week and this past week and I was uh, at a conference and, and I'm on my flight back and just kind of looking over these things and just jotting down some ideas and whatever. And, um, you know, I just kind of began to kind of just kind of chew on this, measure those who worship there and just kind of thinking it through. And, you know, that tells me a couple of things. Number one, number one, God knows the hearts of men. Measure the worshipers. God knows the hearts of men. God is the judge of man, and God is the judge of man's worship. Measure those who worship there. Jesus said in John chapter 4, For God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, in spirit and in truth, in sincerity, in the spirit and in truth, being led by the spirit and in the truth, the sincerity of the word of God. God is looking for worshipers and he tells John to measure those who worship. In other words, listen, God, when we say where two or three are gathered in my name, he will be here. I believe that. I believe God was here this morning. Praise the Lord for his presence. But that also tells us that because he is here, he is also able to know when we are truly worshiping him. He's also, he also knows that. If he's here, then he's able to measure our worship. And if he's able to measure our worship, then wouldn't we be smart people to check in on our worship? You should all say amen. It's all right. We should be smart to say, okay, God, am I really worshiping you? Really? I mean, you know, I could sing of your love forever over the mountains and the sea. And I'm lost without you. What, is that just a song? Or is that really our heart? 
so often how many times we come in here and we start worshiping and our minds are not here, our hearts are not here, and then it's just a song service. And guess what? And then it's just religion. Just ritual, just religion. It means nothing. Measure the worship. You know, so often we're here and we're thinking about what we have to do at the church. Y'all know how it is. I can't. I hope Ronnie's message is short today. <laughs> Fat chance, but <laughs> I hope Ronnie's message is short. I got to get out of here. You know, I got I to gotta get home and mow my lawn, wash my car, make some ribs. <laughs> well, that's what we do. Got to eat. Can't wait to get out of here. Can I just encourage you? Could I just exhort you that when we come to church, that we say, okay, God, I'm here. I'm, I'm here right now. I'm here to worship you. I'm here to hear from you. And whatever problems I have before church will be here after church. Your stuff, your problems, and your issues will wait for you. Amen? Oh, it'll be there when you go. Trust me. Our problems, our issues are ominous. They're always lurking. And when you walk out the door, they'll still be there. So then why not take the time right now as we're in the presence of the Lord to worship the Lord? Why? Because the Lord knows he's the one measuring our worship. And if we are really going to be people of God, then the Lord expects us to worship. Why, Rodney? Because worship is a program of heaven. That's what's going on in heaven. You won't be floating around the cloud wearing a diaper. Amen. Thank God I won't be wearing. Y'all don't want to see me in a diaper. <laughs> Do you? No. 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 <laughs> I don't want to see you either, all right? <laughs> But what we, no, 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 we're not going to be floating around, strumming a harp, you know, just kind of doing nothing, all bored in heaven. You know, heaven's not boring. And you know what you're going to be doing in heaven? Just, whoa, this is the air I breathe. I don't know if that's the song, but it may be one like it because that's my, one of my favorites. Now, now note this here, just really quickly, we're done, Okay. Note the two witnesses. We talked about it. Why two? Why two witnesses? Second Corinthians 13, verse 1. By the mouth of two witnesses, let every word be established. You see, this pattern of two witnesses is seen throughout the Bible. John chapter 20, verse 12, two angels at the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. Mark chapter 6, Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. Numbers 13, Moses sent 12 spies. Two came back. With a great report, Joshua and Caleb exhorted Israel to believe God and to trust God. And so, two, you see two all over the Bible. There is a lot of discussion as to who these two witnesses are. And if you want to know who these two witnesses are, you're going to have to come back next Sunday. <laughs> Stay tuned for coming events. Seven years, 2,520 days. Seven years, two three-and-a-half-year periods. 
God's judgment on the earth. Why? God's given man seven years to repent. You know, God could just say, you know, forget about all this tribulation stuff. Let's just make them all toast right now. Boof! Everyone's a crispy critter. God could, but he doesn't. Why? Because he wants men to repent. God is giving man time to repent, even in the tribulation. That's unbelievable. And it's even yet more unbelievable that men will not repent. How about you? How about today? You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.